So often in our modern day thinking, we consider fertility just something we only need to look at if we're trying to get pregnant. But fertility is an indication of peak health in both humans and animals. A healthy human should be fertile for as long as possible. This indicates optimal endocrine, metabolic, and nervous system functioning, as well as adequate to optimal nourishment. In our modern day thinking, we have reduced fertility to simply something you look at when you want to get pregnant, something we can turn on and off with chemicals, and we casually ignore warning signs from our body when our fertility, metabolic, and endocrine systems are crashing. In this episode, we will recount Allison's incredible fertility journey, what the doctors told her about her hopes of ever conceiving naturally, and what she found as a solution that I think is going to be encouraging and uplifting for you as well. Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen podcast with Alison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea, living on a newly created family farm in northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Good morning, Alison. Hey, good afternoon, Andrea. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm well, and good morning to the listeners. Afternoon, evening, <laughs> not Night. sure what time it is where you're whatever. at. <laughs> a lot of people have said, um, for whatever reason, a bunch of messages recently, people have mm. mentioned that they're listening while they're washing dishes. So if you're washing the dishes, <laughs> we see you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we honor you. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh, this is going to be a really good episode today, Allison. Um, you've got a review to read. So, yeah, why don't do. you start okay, out with so that? Let's go. Let me switch to where that is. This is a review from okay. Apple Podcasts. It's um, awesome. always wonderful if um, you have the time and the inclination to leave us a review. And this one is so enthusiastic that it, it really made me smile. Oh, so, it's nice. five, five stars. <laughs> And the person who nice. left this um, review is called Full Throttle 42. And the title is wow. Full of Goodness. It says, listening to this amazing podcast will lead to an increase of satisfaction in your belly and mind. You will have more mason jars <laughs> in your fridge and on your counter. And your spouse asking, what is that bubbling thing? Your gut health will increase, as will your budget for books. Plus, you'll make more friends because you will probably start lingering at the farmer's market. This wealth of information will expand your mind and encourage you to use your kitchen more and your phone less. These ladies and their guests are a joy to listen to and so knowledgeable. I highly, in capitals, recommend. Thank you, Full Throttle 42. Wow. That's, um, we could have written a vision for the podcast, you know, before yeah. we started. That's basically what it would have been. It's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful review. And it, it made me laugh. You yeah. Know, the, the um, spouse saying, what's that bubbling thing over there? Yeah. And, and all the mason jars everywhere. And, and also and more friends. Yeah, more like friends. That. Exactly. So yeah. that's a real joy to read. And hopefully if someone is unsure whether the podcast is for them and they read that, they might just give us a go. Well, yeah. So. And now I know, Alison, you've been getting messages and I get a message. And I know we each get a message pretty much at least every day. 
mm. um, expressing yeah. the enjoyment and appreciation for the podcast. And mm. those messages are so encouraging and keep us going. If yeah. you get a chance, um, do throw that amazing message up on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to as a review, because those reviews are probably the number one thing for helping the podcast um, be seen. So indeed, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Full and thank you. Pa- <laughs> thank you, patrons as well for supporting us. Um, we just yeah. Yeah. put up um, a kind of a, a new thing on the Patreon, which is annual membership. So um if you would like to support us at any of our four levels and you want to commit to supporting us for a year, you can now get a 10% discount on the um, sponsorship amount. So if you go yeah. to um, www.patreon.com forward slash ancestral kitchen podcast, you will see all the levels and you will see a little option saying if you want to come on for a year, you can get a 10% discount. Um, that's a new thing. That's so a I just cool wanted feature to share that. that yeah. Yeah. Yeah, patron withholds that feature until you've surpassed some benchmark. Mm. We have no idea what time, number of patrons or whatever. (laughs) And whatever it was, we hit it and they're like, you can have year membership. So we're very excited because I know um, a couple of you have asked, hey, could we do a year at a time? Mm. And um, so now now you can. Yeah, exactly. So have you had something to eat this morning, Andrea? I did, happily. What did you have? Um. Well, I made a steamed milk because I pretty much, it's funny, perfect for the fertility episode, but I pretty much have a steamed milk every morning. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes add honey, sometimes just nutmeg, sometimes um, like a cinnamon oil drop. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't add anything. But today, Colleen made me a pumpkin spice creamer Mm -hmm. with the raw milk from our cow. Okay. Oh my goodness. So I had this warm, spicy steamed milk with the creamer steamed into it. So that was delicious. Oh um, gosh. and then I made, I just heated up some of the chowder that I made, um, a couple of days ago. Mm. So I, for the chowder, I had roasted one of our chickens and then, um, you know, right after dinner, I put the bones from the roasted chicken in a pot, covered it in water and it simmered not for overnight or anything. I just did until bedtime basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I used that broth the next day to simmer a whole bunch of chopped vegetables. So some summer squash that had kind of gone a little long and was sort of big, maybe too tough to eat, like baked mm-hmm. in a pan, and some zucchini, um, some just I mean it, it was it was just a hodgepodge of vegetables from everybody. Like Katie gave me some corn, my neighbor gave me some squash, Melissa gave me some zucchini, like just all over the place. And then um, simmered all the vegetables together and then blended them in the Vitamix, poured them back into the pot, mm-hmm. poured in all the leftover gravy from the chicken, which is made from onions from another neighbor and apples from another neighbor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I poured a pint of cream into the pot and um, yeah, it just made, and then I I had two more ears of corn left and I cut the kernels off and added them to the chowder. So they're kind of like whole in the nice. chowder. That makes nice. sense. Is that um, what makes the chowder, yeah. the, the corn? What's the difference between a chowder and a soup? No idea. I just call it a chowder. I have literally no idea why. 
think some listener would need to probably know that. to write to us and tell us because <laughs> I I us. always associate chowder with seafood. I don't know me why. too. Um, me too. I just felt like if I told the kids I was making corn chowder, they'd be more interested than if I said I was making corn soup. Yeah, I don't right. know. I think you're probably and right. They were. So <laughs> chowder, what's that? You could That's serve what it. Would say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I threw in a couple like herbs and spices, but also in the gravy from the chicken, there was a lot of herbs like rosemary and things from our garden that just blended in. So it's got just insane depth of flavor. You know, the, the roasted yeah, chicken, roasted you know, chicken, how roasted juices. chicken broth is like, yeah, so good. Um, so what yeah, that say, was what were you going to say about broth? I just feel like roasted chicken broth is different yeah. from it is. other chicken broths and it's really good yeah i agree i <laughs> so, agree yeah did you eat lunch today oh yeah so you've had a really not really good breakfast you should be able to yeah, go for hours delicious. now <laughs> i know yeah we can record all day yeah. <laughs> settle in people <laughs> yeah I, I have had lunch um i um because we, it's we're recording on i think it's like september the 14th today isn't it and flavio our farmer is not back from his holidays yet. He takes a well-earned break in August and then he starts his food kind of delivery drops again mid-September. So we are picking up some meat from him tomorrow, but I ran out from what we had from him in July. Our freezer's not very big, mm. didn't have any meat left. Mm -hmm. And so I've been kind of eking out bits for about a week, 10 days um, I had some liver pate in the freezer that I'd had and other bits and bobs. But we, we really kind of run out of meat earlier in the week. So um, this morning when I went to the train station to um, take Gabriel and Rob, I always usually walk out with them early in the morning so I get some light, you know. I came back past the butchers in the town and they're open at half past seven. I was really surprised. I've noticed wow. the last couple really? of days, you know, that they look like they're open. So I asked them and they said, yes. So I went in and bought some sausages. They are famous for their um, pigs. They're a particular butcher who um, have their own pigs and create lots and lots and lots of different um, fermented sausages, cured sausages, but, but also have fresh meat as well. So I bought some fresh sausages and I had sausages for lunch, which is such a treat. I love sausages so much. Um, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I cooked them in the cast iron pan with some red onion and some courgette, an extra bit of lard. And courgettes, when they're cooked with sausages in a pan like that, just all the juice from the sausage kind of soaks in and the flavour of the onion. It just yeah. it was very, very good. What's a courgette again? Oh, um, zucchini. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, sorry, I forgot all about right. that. <laughs> You've actually hey, used so the Italian zucchini. word. You actually use the Italian word. Oh. Um, well, it's because I'm international. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm continental. <laughs> and um, <laughs> well, well, I had um, a big, thick slice of um, spelt sourdough bread, my usual spelt sourdough whole grain, with butter on the top. We found a source of salted butter. Yeah, so salted butter on the top. And uh, some sauerkraut. And then... I roasted some cacao beans this morning. I've been wanting to do it for ages and not got to it. And so then after lunch, I sat 
just on the sofa, my lunch going down, and shelled a lot of cacao beans. So yeah, I take the shells off by hand after I've roasted them. And so I had three or four of those as a kind of after-dinner treat. They're delicious. Um, mm. is, it, is it hard to take the shells off? It depends. Most of them, once they've mm. roasted, the shell sort of separates from the bean and you can kind of put them in your f- between two fingers and kind of twist your fingers and the shell cracks and then you can take the shell off. Okay. Some of them break while you're doing that and you have to fish out the shell and you know, separate the bits of bean. Some of them stay whole. Rob's quite good at making them stay whole. I'm not mm. sure how he does it. But, um, yeah, they were – I haven't done it for ages and they were – Absolutely, just oh, so nice to taste fresh cacao yeah. beans again. Um, yeah. So yeah, that that was an extra special treat. It was a nice lunch. Sounds delish. Yeah, we're ready to go. Well, good then. We both had a good lunch. Yeah. And I I was thinking when you said that you were eking out bits. Mm. Well, that's the real ancestor. Well, exactly. Kitchen. There you go. <laughs> eking out exactly. Bits. I was just kind of using bits of broth to. You know, well, then we've had some kind of, you know, meat sustenance in the day. If we've had something with broth on, like a soup, you know, like you you had for breakfast. Um, But then sort of putting tiny bits of meat into things. And um, thankfully, Mm -hmm. I made a big batch of that liver pate, as I said, before um, August. And I was just using it out the freezer because it's Naomi's liver pate. It lasts, it goes really well in the freezer and you can just get it out. It's as if nothing's happened to it and you can spread it on the bread and it's, it's beautiful. Oh, yes. Him. Yeah, we froze some of that. I made a batch of her pate and froze a bunch of containers. And yeah, it came out. It thawed perfectly. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, I found with pate, if you freeze it, and then I was freezing it in small containers, and then I was bringing some to a friend, and that was perfect because it stayed cold. Yeah. You know, it started to thaw, yeah. even though it was in a cooler, but it stayed cold perfect. until she got it. And it was probably thawed by the time yeah. she got home. So I love it when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> but the... I think one of the best things about ancestral food is how it lends itself to eking out bits because that's what all of human history has pretty much been is more or less on the brink of starvation and spending, you know, 20 hours a day procuring your food or whatever and, and just to get enough. But recipes can make it hard because you look at a recipe and you're like, I don't have that. I don't have that. But the recipe is just an example of a skill. And I feel like learning the skills is so much more important than learning the recipes because with the skill to make, I don't know, a chowder, then you can make a chowder out of whatever you have, whatever odd, tough leftover chunks and bits and things, or like you, you know, putting together little bits and bobs Mm. of things. Um, Yeah, I agree. Just with the essential skill. I was on the, um... you know. Discord forum this morning and um, one of our patrons from Australia, Izzy, told me that she made the oh, yeah. risotto recipe that's coming up in, in our cookbook that we're oh, going I to saw be that. putting out. I saw that. And um, she didn't have, it, it's, a, it's a risotto that has saffron in it and it's well known for having saffron in it in Italy. Yeah. But she didn't have any saffron. Yeah. So she just made it without saffron. Mm-hmm. And she said it was absolutely delicious. Yeah. I wonder what it tastes like with saffron yeah. in. And yeah, it, I saw it that. just, it just yeah. that's a kind of a, 
you know, a confirmation of what you've just said. Once you've got mm-hmm. the skill of making a risotto, you've got whatever broth you've got around, you know, you've got whatever fat yeah. you've got around. That particular recipe has bone marrow in it. But, you know, you could put butter mm-hmm. in, you could put whatever fat you have around. If mm-hmm. you've got wine, put it in. If you haven't, don't worry about mm-hmm. it. Put whatever vegetables you want to put in, put whatever cheese you've got or, you know, put yeah. fish in. And it, it's a, it's something that you can then turn to whatever's in your fridge yeah. or whatever's in your store cupboard. Yeah. The do you remember that book, um, a cabin full of food? Yeah, I remember you telling talked me about, about it, it. Yeah. a couple of months ago, and I I like the way she does her recipes because she basically says that she goes first you need you know a cup of fat you know tallow lard yeah. and she'll list off like seven different fats that are all homemade fats or you know home produced as it were, mm. <clears throat> and she's like okay then then you need something sweet you know you want your fruit you need honey like whatever you have like I don't know what you have, and over time, you and your home develop, like, you know, you're like, oh, we really like the fermented oat bake this way yeah. with this. But then somebody else might be like, yeah, and we prefer it with the rye, yeah, like the rye pieces. Or, you know, everybody has their specialty favorite, but they're all right. Yeah. They're all correct. You know, they all heal and nourish and um, extract nutrients. And Did you put that book on our new bookstore? I don't remember whether I saw it up there or not. Which one? The Cabin Full of Food. Which one? Uh, I remember typing it in. I now, think... I don't remember if they had it or not, okay. but I remember typing it in. Okay, well, I don't um, think we've mentioned that... the, book, the bookstore thing on the main <clears throat> on the main podcast feed, have we? Maybe we should. I do not remember. <laughs> I remember we talked, you know, we <laughs> we talked so much and I can't remember. Was it on a Zoom call? Was yeah. it on, on a voice memo? Was it on the kitchen table? <laughs> so we have... Um, um, yeah. Yeah. We have a way that you can buy books online without using Amazon, which um, for ages we thought about kind of making a little bookstore in Amazon, but we both of us kind of don't want to use Amazon unless we absolutely have to. So yeah. we found this <laughs> wonderful company called Bookshop, and I think the URL is bookshop.org. I will put the URL in the show notes. So um, do check there. And we've set up mm-hmm. our own little store in there. Um, That's so cool. So you can go and find all the books that we like, all the books we want to read, all the books we've read, all the books of people we've interviewed, all the books we talk about. And I'm sure that you put the cabin full of food up there. The URL, I think, yeah. is um, bookshop.org forward slash AKP for Ancestral mm-hmm. Kitchen Podcast. That's our store. And Wait, every time, type it in just to oh, thank you. Every time you make a purchase on there, a certain percentage goes to local bookstores. That's the kind of raison d'etre behind the site that they want to support local bookstores. So you can actually say, "I want to support this bookstore that's in my town. I want them to get my money," or you can give it to a fund which goes to all bookstores. Um, and they're just—they're yeah. a wonderful company that um, is working to wonderful values. And every time you purchase something through them, a little bit comes to Andrew and I and helps support the podcast as well. So if you're thinking of getting books um, online, (laughs) do go there first before you go to Amazon. Yeah, if you're like, oh, I want a way to support the podcast, yeah. well, then just go get yourself a bunch of books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's bookshop.org yeah. forward slash shop ah, forward slash AKP. Thank you. I missed out the so shop. Got to get those both in. Okay. And we've uh, got Brian a UK Lexi, one as well. I'm going to put that in the show notes because I can't remember what that URL is off by heart. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, they recorded an episode called The Multiplication of Books or something. Mm-hmm. Um, just talking about, you know, the value of books in the home. And um, Lexi mentioned, I don't remember who, somebody had said it was important to support the local bookstores because just the, at a local bookstore, you usually have a reader running the store who's mm-hmm. obsessively drawing in and curating, you know, pulling in, you know, good literature and classics and modern and things like that and she said a lot of the big chains make the most of their money off of like you know cheap like thrillers and romances and you know just the books that sell by the mass and she said it's so much more important to support the booksellers that are bringing good reading yeah to the fore yeah i agree i thought that was a good point i never thought about that that way you're that's completely true i mean i i'm really fussy with my books i've bought or started to read <laughs> so many books and stopped because I just oh, oh. yeah. So I agree. Support the good writing. Well, yeah, you gotta be choosy. There's, I mean, it's hard. Brian to be made the de- depressing statement that you know I realize I'm gonna die with most of the good books unread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, thanks, thanks. But yeah, there's no time to waste on a yeah on a bad book. I agree. Books. If you're reading so a book and you don't like it, stop reading it. Don't carry on. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're not supposed to be talking yeah, about unless it's Pride and Prejudice, then, then you're carry just on. wrong and you need to <laughs> keep going. <laughs> then then read it again and again and again. <laughs> oh. Exactly. Let's, read it until you like it. <laughs> let's um let's talk about what we're supposed to be talking about today. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's so it. this is an episode that several patrons people have asked us for. Many, and yeah, many it, people. It's something that we've been wanting to do for a long time um, and finally got to it. We're going to talk today about fertility. And mm-hmm. you may think that this episode is kind of only relevant if you're thinking of having a, ch- a child or want to have a child, but that is not the case. And Andrew, you do really well describing why fertility is so much more than something you should be looking to hone if you want to have a child. So could you step in and and explain it really nicely for me? Yeah. Well, I think that just saying alone, Alison, that if you think this episode would only apply to you if you want to have children is a direct illustration of the way our culture has gone, which is to almost virtually despise fertility in many ways like especially natural human fertility and convince everyone to suppress it as much and for as long as possible, which is interesting. Um, But fertility is that fifth vital sign. It is literally the peak indication of health to be fertile Mm -hmm. and a healthy human would be fertile as long as possible, whether or not you were you know, planning to have children because it's just an indication of every organ and hormone functioning correctly and in synchronicity. And of course we have examples of, you know, animals that are in captivity and stuff that won't, won't um, reproduce or can't. And, and you think, well, there's something wrong there, you know? So similar for humans. Yeah. Was that what? Yeah. That's what I wanted you to say that it just basically, it's a sign of a body mm-hmm. working correctly during that stage yeah. of a life when we are fertile. 
the fact that we are. Which is the stage are. that should be longer yeah. than most people in our modern day think, too. Yeah. And I think some of the <clears throat> symptoms that come with fertility um, that a lot right. of women experience are can be unpleasant. And so it's... Yeah, it's kind of easy to want to kind of push it away and think, you know, well, mm, doctors' interventions and the um, contraceptive pill and all these other things that can take away pain um, are are something that you know are, are heaven sent. But the truth of it is, if our bodies are fertile and showing signs that they're fertile, it means that we are healthy. It means that our metabolism right. is working. It means that our body's in a, a healthy state, healthy enough to feel comfortable enough to produce a child, which is right. where we should be as humans. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's bizarre to think that generation after generation of chemically suppressing fertility could not have an effect mm. on us ultimately. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to think that that <laughs> that that couldn't have an impact. Yeah, I agree, and I and I think you know the modern the modern excuse me the modern medical kind of view of this mm -hmm. and the view that's passed on to to young women is so wrong. And maybe um, I could move on to my kind of fertility story here and bring that in because it was a huge yeah, part of let's do that. what happened to me earlier on in my life. So. Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS. I think when I was about 14, I'd had, my periods had started before then and they were really heavy and really irregular. And I was overweight then, um, very overweight. And I struggled a lot with my periods. And being brought up in a kind of a mainstream household, I went to the doctor and the doctor just put me on the pill, the combined pill. Oh my Didn't gosh. Didn't explain to me. I, I was I think I was 14. Didn't Whoa. explain to me anything about um what polycystic ovaries was. Didn't offer any explanation of how I might be able to work with it myself. Didn't say to me, You're obese. And you know, you're obese, you think perhaps your weight is playing into this because all of the research on PCOS says the symptoms are worse when right. you're carrying more weight. Um, oh. The doctor just put me on the pill and I just took the pill because it's what the doctor said. <laughs> and my periods came, but they were obviously not proper periods because I was on the pill and they were regular and they weren't painful. And so I just, you know, carried on like that. And I think... You know, that's a kind of a symptom of what the the mainstream world thinks of fertility, the value that it holds it in, that I would just be given that and no questions yeah. asked at all. Um, just turn it off. Exactly. No and, thought for, I mean, the side effects, the long-term effects of those medications what are was happening to my body. shockingly bad. What And I, you know, looking back at that, period of my life obviously I wish I'd never taken the pill but I didn't know any different and the people around me didn't know any different so of course the con contraceptive pill is just a, a, a terrible thing for a human body and also for um the hormones going into our 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 world into our water system oh yeah 
Um, yeah. But I didn't have bad periods anymore. <laughs> and that uh, huh. I carried on with the pill most through most of my um, teenage years. And then I remember wanting to come off it in my 20s and coming off of it for a while, mm -hmm. going back on it sort of off and on in my early 20s. And then um, I decided to stop completely and, and my periods just stopped. Like I didn't have any periods mm. at all. Um, so so you probably actually mm. hadn't had a period for a long time though, because like no. you said, you're not actually having a period when um, when you're on a pill and you know you take the sugar pill or whatever for three days. Like it's not actually a period. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I hadn't, probably hadn't ovulated. You don't even know how long. And yeah. since like when I was 14 at that point. And I think, I'm trying to think oh how old gosh. I was when I stopped the pill. I think I was probably, the, the time that I stopped it for nephrodite, I think I was about 27. So wow, so for over 10 years you were I took the pill for over it. a decade, yeah. It's That's horrible thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, wow. yeah, and I just. never thinking, no. like. Well, I just, I didn't know any different. Nobody said. No one said anything yeah. to me and I didn't. Exactly. I read mainstream media. I didn't have anyone who even kind of tinkled a little bit of that in my ear to make me curious. Wow. It was only wow. really my own research later that made me think, hang on a minute, I think perhaps this isn't such a good thing for me. Mm. Um, so, yeah, when I came off the pill, I just, I didn't have a cycle for a long time and um I then remember having kind of one cycle every couple of years and my hormones were just a, a complete um incomplete topsy-turvy and whoa and I probably nobody's saying hey no. that should be an alarming sign no no and I remember thinking at the time well you know I don't have a period well it's not I didn't feel like I was missing out particularly because periods wow. were pain and inconvenience and, and I pain wasn't and having inconvenience them. is to be avoided yeah, at all exactly costs <laughs> exactly so wow. um we fast forward to um probably 10 years later and when I now I'm with Rob and I'm getting into my late 30s and realizing that I want to have a child if at all possible and I had at that point, I hadn't had a cycle for, I think, about four years at all, like nothing. Um, and as oh we've my. talked about on previous episodes, that kind of coincided with me going vegetarian and then eating vegan and raw vegan at that time. Uh -huh. um, I'd lost all the weight by then. I lost the weight when I was 21. So that happened long before. And right. I decided to go back to the doctor. And I said to the doctor, you know, I, I want to potentially have a child and I haven't had a cycle for four years and the doctor me doctor said to me you will not get your cycle back without oh medication mm. and it was a lady doctor and he didn't it was a lady doctor no way yeah no way and she looked she at me and she just, you. She, did, she just looked at me that was it end of the conversation you will not get your cycle back without what? without medicine and wow I, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but basically I, in my, I, in <laughs> outwardly, I just kind of smiled inwardly in my <laughs> head. There was a loud voice that said, yes, I will. 
And oh. <laughs> that was the beginning of my decision that I had to find an alternative because I wasn't going to go back on any form of medication. I didn't want to take any form of medication. Kind of a good thing she said that to you because yeah. it fueled your determination. Maybe if she was ambivalent, you might not have been yeah. so fired. But she didn't say to you, how many years has it been since you've had fat? You know, how, like, nothing no, no. about your diet. No, nothing, nothing at all. No, nothing at all. Well, probably she thought, well, you're you're thin, so you're healthy. So no need to question that. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Because that's another myth you know, in our culture. Oh, thin thin equals healthy. healthy. Yeah. yeah. So I started trying to research um, what traditionally fertility foods were. And at the same time, Rob and I kind of came to a decision one New Year's Eve, um, having a very sort of deep, um, meaningful conversation together that we really did uh -huh. want to have a child, but that we were not willing to go through any form of um, intervention to do that. So that basically meant we we would bring my cycle back naturally if we could and we would um, conceive naturally if we could. And if we couldn't, which I had no idea at that point whether I could, being, being that I hadn't had a cycle for four years, if we couldn't, we would accept the very hard to accept fact that we would never be parents and that was an incredibly hard kind of um decision to acknowledge I think we both knew we felt it mm -hmm. but saying it out loud was mm -hmm. quite hard but then that kind of spurred me into even more right okay I'm going to do whatever I can and so I I remember first researching traditional fertility foods and finding um Alyssa Vitti, who has a clinic in New York, she still has one, yeah. Um, but she's expanded yeah. greatly, and um, since then, when I found her, which was almost a decade ago, she was working on a smaller basis, and I started learning from her about the importance of animal foods and saturated fat um, in fertility, and I started then. I through her, I found Western Price. And I was starting to read articles from the Western Prize Foundation on traditional fertility foods. And at the same time, I was I found another guy um, who I believe was called Matt Stone, who I learned about the importance of body temperature. And I started tracking my body temperature and seeing that I was too cold and how my metabolism wasn't working properly and learning that if my metabolism wasn't working properly, it wouldn't allow me to ovulate because it my body would think that there was something wrong. Did you know we have a Patreon for the listeners of the Ancestral Kitchen podcast? That's right. Can't get enough of this. Well, there's more of it over on the Patreon feed just waiting for you. We have a variety of levels to choose from and a bunch of different benefits to enjoy. Your sponsorship keeps the podcast on the air ad-free and helps us keep buying books to read and talk about on the podcast. It also helps Allison buy bizarre ingredients at the farmer's market so she can ferment them and tell us about them later. Check us out at patreon.com slash ancestral kitchen podcast. So that was a period of about kind of a year where I just learned all about 
traditional fertility foods and started bringing them back into my mm. diet. And yeah. after a period of, it was, it took quite a while because I was raw vegan at the time. And so to reintroduce eggs, fish, meat, fat, raw dairy, it was, it was hard um, psychologically. Um, but over about a year, I brought them fully back into my diet. And then I think about 18 months into it, I had a period for the first time in five years. It had been five years at that point. And wow. then I was pregnant before my next period happened. So I was pregnant <laughs> on my second ovulation. Amazing. Um, which Amazing. was uh, unbelievable to me because I didn't even know if I was going to have a second yeah. period because I spent most of my life yeah. having one period, then waiting a year for the next one. Yeah. So you could have thought this one was, oh, this is my, you know, biannual yeah. period. <laughs> yeah. Nothing to see I here. <laughs> I just I wow. couldn't believe it. And then I realized, no, actually, wow. I'm pregnant. And since then, mm. obviously, I didn't, I didn't menstruate when I was pregnant with Gabriel. But since I've um, given birth to Gabriel and returned back and um, to a cycle, my cycles have been regular completely that's awesome and I that's been I mean Gable's eight now um I've never had a period in my life a block of time in my life where I've had a regular cycle other than after Gable other than you know after I found ancestral food yeah um and can you say again mm. when you started eating the ancestral food how long it took before Mm. you got your cycle back I think it took about a year to 18 months. I started slowly. Okay. So at the beginning, uh-huh. when I was just doing that work with Alyssa Vitti's clinic and learning, oh, okay, I should be including some animal foods. Because I'd been more vegan, I was just like, oh, okay, well, perhaps some eggs and perhaps a little bit of salmon because mm-hmm. those were the things that mm-hmm. I'd liked the most before I had um, decided to eat vegan. So I started with those yeah. and I kind of slowly went back into for that. Then I slowly introduced some raw dairy. I remember making kefir with a, a local um, mm-hmm. raw milk. And then I slowly introduced a bit of meat. And then okay. we moved more onto the fatty things, which were more a challenge for me because of my history of being obese. Right. Then we moved on to cheese. Then we moved on to, you know, really roasted pork joints with with all the fat on them, you know, then we moved on to proper saturated fat. So it took me probably about a year to get all that back into my diet and get eating it regularly. But the encouragement I found when I watched my body temperature change was astounding. Yeah, I was going to say. It really, I mean. I'm just picturing you as like a thermal map and I could just see you warming up as you're eating those foods. It was, it was literally astounding. I mean, I would take my temperature and I, I began to learn what my normal temperature was in the morning and what it was like in the lunchtime and what it was like in the evening. And then I would watch myself. I was about a degree and a half centigrade. That is lower than what I should have been. And I was always warmer in the morning and colder in the evening, mm. whereas you should be the other way around. Mm. You should be That's interesting. warmer yeah. in the um, yeah. evening. I always cooled down during yeah. the day, whereas Rob did the opposite. He He's more normal. He warmed up. <laughs> um, and I would mm. I would take my temperature after, like I'd eaten um, roast pork for lunch in the evening, I would take my temperature, and it would be a degree warmer, literally, from just eating wow. 
a big meal yeah. with the fat of the animal included in the meal. Yeah. And so seeing that, I started to think, hey, well, I can understand, you know, if if yeah. your body temperature is not what a human's body temperature is supposed to be, if it's too cold, then your systems aren't going to work properly. You know, your body's going to think, yeah. there's something wrong here. I am not going to ovulate. Everything's we slow. can't bring another child yeah. into this world if this is the environment no, we'll it's going to be in. Death. Exactly, we'll starve. Yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of similar yeah. with eating too little. You know, eating too little depresses your metabolism, depresses your temperature. And the body's yeah. not going to allow a child into the world mm -mm. when there's not enough food. So it, yeah. it all kind of clicked yeah. in my head. Um, and yeah, it, it happened really quite quickly. Once, mm -hmm. once I'd, um, once I brought that food back in fully, then I think it was, yeah. I think it was like, you know, six months after I was eating like that, that, that I had a cycle. That's amazing. So. And probably good that you did go kind of slowly into it because, um, in a way, if you had changed all at once, it might've been taxing, you know, it's a big change, a lot mm. for your digestive system to handle mm. having real food all of a sudden, mm. um, like that. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and also for your psychology, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I was very, I, you know, for most of my life, I've been very anti-fat. And so I needed time to accept that right. this was yeah. what I wanted to do now. And, yeah. and so that time was good for me to not go into complete overdrive in my head too. Yeah. And the change came in more permanent, obviously, yeah. as you're still doing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Know, years later. But that's a good thing too. Yeah. So the the traditional fertility oh. foods that I researched and brought back into my diet and, you know, what, yes. what people I say are the traditional fertility foods. So the first one is saturated fat. And mm -hmm. obviously that has to be good quality saturated fat. We know that, for instance, pigs can be kept in appalling conditions in big pig factories right. and fed unnatural food for pigs. And the fat from those pigs that have been genetically engineered to be leaner in the first place is not good quality saturated fat. It's not the same thing. Really, in, in the world I inhabit, the only way to afford good quality saturated fat is to make it yourself. Butter is, yep. <laughs> is, is expensive and mm -hmm. um, difficult to live on as your only saturated fat because of its cost. So we're back to the kind of the thing we um, shout from the rooftops in every podcast, find <laughs> a farmer, find someone who is find looking them. after animals and soil near you and go ask them if you can have some fat. It doesn't take long to render fat in bulk in your kitchen mm -mm. and it is so cheap compared to buying it so cheap because um, yeah, nobody else wants it yeah <laughs> completely if you find a great source of pork or beef and you're like can i buy some unrendered fat they'll be like take it <clears throat> you want to what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> take it <laughs> so yeah, yeah that yeah that's true that's uh the, the saturated fat i think is the cornerstone to traditional mm -hmm. fertility foods the the second one which is really important is eggs and i think if you read any yes. book like nourishing traditions or anything the western price oh have put gosh. out you'll you'll read how women 
um, before they have children, while they're looking after children, while they're breastfeeding, just after, you know, postpartum, they eat a lot yeah. of eggs. Um, okay, can I read this part? Actually, yeah, also, I have it you can. You've open got on the table Wonderful. for me. It's funny you said it because I was like, I want to read this part because there's something in here that there's a principle, she states, that is so important. And this is why anybody, everybody, men and women, should be eating their ancestral diet now, whether or not they mm. are planning, you know, to have children or they or now in the next six months or in years from now. Choline is especially important for the formation of cholinergic neurons, which takes place from day 56 of pregnancy through three months after birth. Mm. When choline is lacking, these connections cannot take place. Adding choline to the diet in later years will not compensate for missing choline during growth. The window of opportunity when the body is programmed to make these connections will have closed. Mm. Now listen to this. The mother's intake of choline, lots of choline, can have a beneficial effect for the entire life of her offspring. Wow. And then they cite um, just something they observed in rats. Rats fed three times the normal choline requirement during pregnancy give birth to offspring with remarkably resilient nervous systems. These offspring have a lifelong 30% increase in visual, spatial, and auditory memory. They grow old without developing any age-related senility. They are protected against the assaults of neurotoxins, and they have an enhanced ability to focus on several things at once. The RDA for non-pregnant women is 425 milligrams of choline per day. For pregnant women, it's just 450 more. However, rat studies suggest an amount two to three times more may provide your baby with lasting benefits. And it's important to note that women need to be getting these foods long before they're pregnant because when you are pregnant, one of two things can happen. One, even if you're supplementing with something, it might be too late to get it into your system. You know, the baby needed it built into you before. Mm. Um, and the other is if you don't have it, the baby in some cases can steal it from your system and you'll end up deficient, mm. you know, at the expense of, you know, keeping the new life alive. Yeah, that's a really but important egg point white... and something that we've got a question oh. on that that um, <laughs> is later. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Go on about egg whites. So I'm just going to read one last sentence, and that is egg whites provide perfect protein, oops, and egg yolks contain a powerhouse of nutrients, chief among them being choline, which is critical for the development of the brain. And I'm thinking, um, I wish I had my old phone down here because I had taken notes on a talk Dolsalatin gave on the difference of nutrients in the eggs from his pasture-raised chickens versus the eggs from the factory. Mm. And I'm telling you, Allison, they're not even the same food. I want to say the folic acid or the folic, the um the the difference in folate. Mm. Wow. Now I can't even remember. Was it folate? <laughs> Am I getting it right, Allison? Mm. Um was like over a over a thousand units of measurement different. I mean it was Gosh. off the chain. And I took I took it down in my notes, but that's in the the old phone that's upstairs. Can we link the the talk in the show notes if people want to oh, look it up? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And what I just what I just read was from the first chapter of the Nourishing Traditions book of Baby and Child Care. Okay. Sally Fallon Morrell. 
and Thomas Cowan. I think Allison, I linked that episode of Joel's when we talked about chickens before, but I'll link it again. Thank you. Um, people might have already listened to it if they've been listening to the episodes, though. Yeah. Um, but they're not even the same food. So getting eggs from a farmer mm. that has them on grass, because do not trust a box that says free range. That's garbage. That means nothing. Mm. Um, get them from a farmer that has the chickens on grass. And and I know that it might be $10 a dozen, mm. but it's not even the same food as what you're getting from the factory. It's not like that goes by the same name and it appears similar, but inside of it, it is not the same thing. I think um slightly off on a tangent here, but I want to say it that when we list these foods, it can be easy to think, oh, how can I afford all of this, these eggs like this? How can I, I afford the, I the fat? And I remember when I was pregnant, going to the only Western Price Traditions conference in the UK that there's been, and I heard Sally Fallon talk. And in that talk, she had some slides of what she ate in a day, and she showed pictures. And I was astounded by the the smallness of what was on <laughs> yeah, her plate. I was going to say. Literally. <laughs> yes. The, the, all the dishes were really nutrient-dense, but smaller than yeah. I expected. Yeah. And know she's not, you know, four foot eight. Um, I don't know if you do four foot. No. Do you do that, that kind of measurements in the US? You know, she's a, she's a normal sized woman. No, we, we measure in twigs, Alison. You guys weigh in <laughs> stones and we measure in twigs. So she's 12 twigs 12 tall. Twigs. <laughs> I always have to think I'm going off on one about four foot seven or, or ounces or grams or something. I'm thinking, hang on a minute. Does Andrew know what I'm talking she's about? She's 20 litres tall. <laughs> <laughs> she's not a small woman. And she had yeah. her lunch was small. But when you looked at what was on the plate, yeah. it was really dense food. And I think yeah. when we are used to the amounts of foods we eat of previous diets, we think we need a massive oh, yeah. plate with all this stuff. But when you start Volume. to feed yeah. yourself nutrient-dense food and when you start to process grains yeah. properly, you realise you don't need as much to give your body what it needs. So Gary said attention. that when we first started eating almost ex exclusively off of farms when we lived in Virginia. And he said, wow, you really, you cannot eat as much. And yeah. you, have you ever heard someone try to eat a piece of chocolate cake and they say it's too rich, they can't eat very yeah. much. And that's how nutrient dense food is. You just can't eat as much, but you're full and you're full for longer. Like that chowder, I had a bowl of chowder. If I just had a bowl of cereal, I probably could have had six bowls of cereal and yeah. still been hungry. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just does nothing for it doesn't hit any of the markers in my brain or anything so let's and it's interesting allison mm. because since you're talking about fertility specifically mm. think about how many people will spend tens of thousands oh, of dollars on a treatment yeah but it would never occur to us to take out a loan to join a csa to try yeah. and heal our body yeah whereas we would do that for all kinds of medical interventions yeah I'm not saying somebody should do that like i'm not saying i want you to take out a loan i'm just saying like the perspective we don't see it the same yeah yeah i agree okay carry on so back to our list the next thing that i wrote down was liver um liver's always quoted as um a traditional oh, yes. fertility food because of the incredible nutrients that are in it um i've got oily fish and then grains process them um, it is hard for our bodies yes. to digest grains when they are not processed. Yes. And it takes much more digestive power. There are problems with the grains 
kind of not been digested properly. If you process your grains, then your body will have much less to do and you will be able to absorb them much better. The other thing that I wanted to add, which I kind of mentioned earlier, is that you need to eat enough food. We have this, you know, long-held kind of culture of we have to be thin, thin equals healthy, and the diet culture that all of us are saturated in. It's... um, Rubbish is the polite word I would say for it, and <laughs> we we need you need to have enough food to be fertile. Your body cannot think that it's in starvation mode because it won't it won't work properly. So yeah. um, let's talk about kind of the reality, the practical side of these. You know, the saturated fat, the eggs, the liver, the oily fish, processing grains. Okay. If someone wants to be as healthy as possible as fertile as possible and include those foods in their diet, they're busy just like everyone is. How do you see that looking? Talk about how you include those in your kitchen. Yeah, well, um, I think step number one, you already laid out, which is ease into it. So start incorporating things into your life as opposed to trying to full sweep change. That's helpful. Because once you've incorporated one thing, it becomes so normal for you that you don't even realize you're abnormal until you go to someone else's house and you're like, what are you putting in the microwave? <laughs> <laughs> microwave? That's the <laughs> The microwave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so um, for us, definitely bulk cooking comes into play. Mm. Um, like when I made this chowder, it was way more than we needed for a meal. But I put a, you know, we ate a meal and I put a half a gallon in the fridge because I knew we'd eat it the next day, which I just did. Mm. So um, bulk cooking, that's not, that's not really bulk cooking, but that's kind of like intentional overrun. Um, as much as you can do on your own in terms of cost, mm. usually, well, that's not true. I was going to say, sometimes you have less time, but then more money. That's mm. not always true necessarily. Um, if that is the case, then you can outsource some of your processing and have, you know, buy sprouted sourdough mm. bread. But um, if you, it sounds so elitist if I'm like, yeah, or just stay home and like do it yourself, you know, but, um, but in reality, that's kind of what we need to do. Yeah. And it, and um, it, it's not, and I know it's not always elitist. It is for some people if they think they're no. elitist because they've got the ability to do that. But for, for other people like yeah. you and me and like, <laughs> and like people listening to this podcast, <laughs> it's a hard decision to stay at home yeah. and do this, you know, there's, yeah. there's only and I, just enough and bartering and yeah. making difficult choices is part of it, but it's, it's wonderful yeah. too. I, exactly. And I, I hear the same argument in, um, about homeschool mm. when people say, um, well, only wealthy people can homeschool because the mom has to stay home. And I'm, confused hearing that because growing up every homeschool family I know was basically what people would they would have said poor Mm. um because everybody said we're willing to take a hit a huge hit um we're not going to Disneyland we're going to the state fair Mm. you know what I mean um we're not um going to Whole Foods we're planting a garden on our porch if need be you know um so yeah, I guess it's not privilege. It's just like an exchange of values, basically. Yeah, completely. So that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So thanks for saying that. Um, 
yeah. So bulk cooking, do as much processing as you can, of course. Um, and just pick, pick like one book that you love, like nourishing traditions. There's so many out there now. Mm. I'm almost glad Allison, that when you and I were really getting going, yeah. there was just really nourishing traditions because I would be so overwhelmed. Every blog is the right one. Every social media influencer is the one you should be listening to. And they're all posting the thing you need to do, or you're like, baby's going to be born without legs or something like that. You know, if <laughs> don't you don't hate this now, it's just a lot. But whereas when you read nourishing traditions, yes, she pulls out to the side and says, okay, here's, here's a whole bunch of like, oh, here's choline and here's what it does to your neurotransmitters. And here's how much you could be eating. But if you didn't, if you didn't know the science behind it or read the details behind it, and all you did was fully embrace the ancestral diet, you would cover yeah. all of those bases. Yeah, completely. And that, you know, Sally says that a lot that, well, through all of human history, people have said this is the way to do it. And every all our research showed that's how every tribe did it. So we do it this way. And now we have this study to show why we do mm. it this way. But we did it this way before anyways, even before we knew. And like, that's we fascinating, just, in our culture, it? we're like, yeah, yeah. But it's like, why, why do I need eggs specifically, mm. you know, or why, like, tell me more, like, well, or you could just, <laughs> there's this popular saying nowadays, which is like, trust the science. So I'm going to throw that to the side and say, trust the ancestors. Yeah. They had a reason for doing it that way. Even if they didn't know the science, they'd observed over decades and generations that people did better when they did this. Yeah. So let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> I think your um the word you used of bulk is is the most important thing mm -hmm. because we are sure. all busy and it can be overwhelming to think about trying to include all that food in your diet. But, you know, that, for instance, the liver pate that I was talking about when we were talking about what we just ate, when I made Naomi's liver pate, I made a lot, like a lot. It it, yeah. it took me quite <laughs> a long time one Saturday morning, you know, frying up yeah. all the onions, then frying up the liver, grinding the spices down. But once I'd done it, yeah. I had a ton of liver pate. You know, I had some that we had for lunch. I oh, had some yeah. that I left in the fridge for three, four or five days. Then I had some that I just wrapped up in parchment paper in little um, kind of blocks that would last us two days. And then I put them in the freezer. And then I'd take one out and yeah. we'd have it one day for lunch and then the next day for lunch. And and you don't have a huge... It didn't. You don't have a yeah. huge chest freezer. No, I, so. have a, I have a tiny freezer with three drawers. Worth um, noting. And I, I think, you know approaching these foods with that mindset can really yeah. help the fat rendering the lard that we get we render every about six weeks we get three kilograms of fat we render it down and then some of it's in the fridge some of it's in the freezer and it lasts us six weeks we do the same with yeah. tallow with I, just mm -hmm. i was gonna say with just a little bit bit of planning I was remembering even with our first apartment we had a small fridge and freezer and I am astonished at how much <laughs> I prepped and bulk cooked and squeezed That's into fair. that yeah. freezer like in retrospect I'm like how did I do it of course there's only two of us at the time so that helped but um still I was preparing it 
your supply of certain things. Yeah. And like how? I don't even know. I think but, but even it's just... like a, you, when you try and fit things in your freezer, you were amazed at actually how much <laughs> you could fit in. When I when I was doing the rye course earlier in the year, you would not believe how many rye breads I had in that freezer. I just oh, kept pulling them out. I might there's still more. You. There's still more. It's only one drawer full of rye breads. It was like some Mary Poppins drawer that went on forever. I was going to say Mary Poppins pulling it out. <laughs> Yeah, but with just a little bit of planning, you can strategize so, even in shorter bulk. Like, yeah. like you didn't say you made a year's supply of um, pate, no. but no. you made a liver's supply of it, as it were. Yeah. And then that was on your Saturday when you had time. Yeah. And now during the week when you're taking Gabriel to and from school yeah. or whatever, you're not making it. Yeah. So it's that's, um, that's awesome. It's just kind of organizing logistics to make things in bulk and it makes it much more manageable um and approaching yeah. it when and you can you know when you when you're in the mood for doing it or when you feel like planning yeah. you can then sort it out so you don't have to worry about it and i think listen listen to allison i'll, I'll say listen <laughs> to me too but listen to allison because i and and with, with i listen to you allison mm. with trust and um confidence because there are um social media influencers <laughs> who will share with you the ancestral meal they made and talk about how important it is and all those things but then they're also that's not every single meal and then they're also having things delivered and things like that you know like like they're you're telling us it's important and it's worth sacrificing for. And I, I'm saying the same thing. Mm. And we both are mm. not just saying that. Yeah. Like for the sake of clicks or and, whatever. And like, sometimes this is our life. Sometimes <laughs> that bulk thing, you know, that liver pate is ready. And I've made the bread in bulk as well. You know, I make more than one bread at a time yeah. and freeze it. But then sometimes literally it's the bread the liver pate is ready. And then I haven't got time to do something else. So I've cut up some carrots, mm -hmm. torn off a couple of mm -hmm. lettuce leaves, ripped them up with my hands, put them on the plate. Yeah. You know, it's not, Boom. it's not it, all absolutely perfect and looking wonderful. It's just. Oh, that does sound perfect, actually. <laughs> it's a mix, but, you know, it's a mix of yeah, preparation exactly. and flexibility. And um, also we've talked before yeah. about accepting the there's not necessarily the variety that you're going to see in ideal people's kitchens where they have different meals every single night right. of the week. It's some, yeah. Sometimes we eat the same thing Sorry, over and that's over not again. Us. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And if you have, um, I can say this from experience as well, both in community living with multiple adults or living with big family, lots of kids. If you have, a lot of variety like that. Every meal is different. It's probably a result of either grocery shopping. So somebody else is doing, you know, prep of some things, or, um, when you're in a community, you're going to tear through the food a lot faster, but there's more hands mm, to prepare. Mm. So automatically you end up with diverse food, you know? So, yeah. Um, if you have seven kids and you're thinking, uh, yeah, we know we, what are leftovers, never seen them in my life. Then, um, that makes sense. You probably, hopefully are training. I'm sure you are training up those kids and you've got more hands yeah. helping you in the kitchen. Yeah. Hence more diversity on the, on the plate. Yeah. We've got some questions, um, that came in for this episode, but before we get to those, let's just talk briefly about 
other things aside from food. Do you want to talk a bit about um, toxins and other things that can influence fertility? Yeah, I'll make it short mm -hmm. since I know we've talked about this before. Um, so important as you're inputting all the good to stop inputting the bad that's negatively affecting us. And one of the things that affects us the most in our environment today is xenoestrogens, which is the Greek for, you know, xeno, like a stranger, foreign, um, estrogen-like. So they bind to your estrogen or receptors that would accept estrogen, and they act like estrogen, but they're not estrogen. And that's a problem for male and female because you end up with estrogen dominant male and female, which is for neither of us, that's not a good thing. Mm. So what are xenoestrogens found in? Literally everything in our modern world. They're, of course, they're man-made, like everything else wonderful. They're in laundry soap. They're in water. They're in all kinds of foods and meats. They're in, oh, yeah, Allison, they're in receipts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, they're in everything. So do you just live your life in fear, cowering <laughs> under your organic grass-fed wool blanket? <laughs> or do you eliminate, like, and then, and then you give yourself a new problem. Now you're basically living off of cortisol and adrenaline. Yeah. Like, yeah. get your poison. So you do need to live in the real world, but um, you're able to avoid a lot of them. So anything, anything that says fragrance, I promise you, there's xenoestrogens in it. If your laundry soap has essential oils in it, and then after you wash and dry your clothes, they smell so strongly of that essential oil, then that wasn't just an essential oil. It was an essential oil bound with a xenoestrogen to the fabric. I was like, what's the point then? Why did you use essential oils in the laundry soap if you're just going to bind it with a xenoestrogen? Mm. Um, what you can eliminate, um, you know, basically anything from like a drugstore, like the shampoos and laundry soaps and things like that, mm. deodorants. Oh, it's a lot. I mean, it's another thing kind of like the food, Allison, where you can I mean, I do know plenty of people who just said, you know what? Clean sweep. I'm getting rid of everything. They fill a trash bag with everything and they just get it out and they start over. Mm. And then there's other people. This is more closer to what we did where you're like, okay, I know this is bad. I'm going to finish it and I'm replacing it as it's mm. gone with something good. That is an option too. Um, so I have, for the patrons, I'm going to upload an extra bonus from a workshop that we've taught out here, mm -hmm. which is just on avoiding xenoestrogens. So it's just the handout that I give at that workshop. So the top 10 most common sources of xenoestrogens. Okay. Um, things you can focus on swapping out and avoiding. If you are getting rid of all the fragranced bodily things, and if you, and plugins, please get rid of the plugins <laughs> and candles, um, and your, eating as closely as you can off of farms that don't um, use synthetic input for their animals, you're probably avoiding the grand bulk of it. What do you think, Alison? Yeah, I agree. I think it's very easy to become stressed about it 
and yeah. too fundamental. A new hyperfixation. You know, that, that's, <laughs> that's my kind of tendency. So I, I'm always aware. Really? If I end, yeah. <laughs> can you tell? Um, <laughs> so I'm always aware. You know, I look back and I think about how I've done that in my life. And like yeah. you said, you're just swapping one thing. You're swapping that for cortisol and adrenaline, which aren't going to do your system any good um, right. themselves. So it's about being right. kind and finding what you can do without becoming too obsessed by it. I think that's kind of the same with um, you know, stress generally in our life. I mean, so many people will tell us that stress is not good for us and we must look after ourselves. We must do self-care in blah, quotes. Blah, blah. And <laughs> the, the point is we can only do what we can do, but we can consciously direct our thoughts and direct our actions to being yes. kinder to ourselves. I think all of us know deep down what we need in order to look after ourselves, in order to have that self-care. And um, mm. I remember being quite um, taken aback a few years ago. I, I did um, a songwriting course and part of that had several exercises in it. And one of them um, said, finish this phrase 10 ways. And the phrase started secretly, I'd love to. And you had to write <sighs> 10 ways you wanted to finish that. And I, I remember thinking Whoa. at the time... That was really helpful to me because deep down, huh. we all know what we want to do, what we'd love to do if yeah. there was more time, if we yeah. had more money, if I didn't have all these other things to do, if this person wasn't watching me. And some of those things <laughs> have an essence that we do need to bring closer to us. And if we become yeah. aware of those knowledges we have in us, then we can try to direct the time and space and money that is available to just giving ourselves a little bit more of what we need. So I think that's Absolutely. my that's my tuppence on do you say tuppence? I don't know if I'm allowed to ask that anymore. That's my tuppence. Oh, we don't say tuppence, <laughs> Alison. That's my two cents, okay. <laughs> that's my two cents on, on self-care. Now well, that's some American capitalism right there. <laughs> oh, do you want to okay, do you want to add so anything on self-care? <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't do self-care in America. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um no, I think you covered. Okay. You covered it. Cool. Let's move All on right. to the questions. So we had a couple of questions. Yeah. Do you want to try and hit those? Yeah, so okay. I'll I'll ask you the first one. Do you recommend supplements? Hmm. Um I recommend get it from your food mm. and um maybe if you know you're excessively deficient in something build yourself up with that supplement and my only 100% of the time all the time thing I could call a supplement is ningxia which is just a whole food so I don't even know it's just something I can't grow here so um, that's what we've talked about before yeah. really whole food as yeah. supplements is yeah. much more um, our kind of thing absolutely than um, supplements supplements but really food can provide everything if you can yeah. get the right types of food grown in the right types of way so, um, yep. Do you say an egg is a supplement? I don't know. I don't think so, but it's supplementing what you need. It's delicious. So. Mm. That's what I there call an egg. It's delicious. Um, I didn't yep. take any supplements, um, when preparing. No, I just ate I. really good food. Okay. So the next yeah. question is what about the man? We haven't talked about mm -hmm. men in specific really terms here. Does he need yeah. to do all of this? And I mean, yes. I remember 
the reading yes. that I did that the, <laughs> the man's just as important as the woman when it comes to being yeah. fertile and um, being able to produce uh, a healthy offspring. So, I mean, Rob did yeah. everything that I did. We did we did our kind of transition into ancestral foods together. And I think it's easy to think that everything is on the weight of the shoulders of the woman, but the man needs to pay just as mm -hmm. much attention to his diet and what's not going into his body yes. and his life and as well. And he really really with the with with the woman it is true but we tend to not think about it with the man it's more obvious that his input is largely coming in through coding that he's passing on to the child which is all set in stone mm. before the child's you know eyes develop if you will yeah. so he, he it's the same with the woman and then she also supplements the physical growth of the child but they both are contributing coding so knowing that both of you are preparing that coding right now if you ever want to have a child even 10 years from now like yeah <laughs> and then as for men's fertility i don't know so much about that but i do know that men are also facing a crisis and mm. and they're also suffering massively under these estrogenic yeah overloads um maybe in some ways more so than women i don't know but um yeah the the good thing, though, is with ancestral food, you pretty much can prepare the same thing. And like Tara Couture often posts pictures of her plate and his plate, and they do eat differently, but they prepare the same things. And then like he will pull more of the veg. She doesn't eat as much hmm. of the vegetables as he does, or he'll eat like twice as much as she does. But it's hmm. the same yeah, plate. That's similar will, so. to, to Rob and I. Rob will eat more vegetables than me. Yeah, and um, same with Gary and me. Weird. That was a, a quite oh. a difficult thing to to kind of come to terms with for me because I, you know, the vegetables are good. You know, you've got to eat your veg, and and oh, eating yeah. less vegetables in order to have enough room for me to eat the stuff that was more nutrient dense was a, a learning curve yeah. for me. Yeah, I think what we said at the beginning about fertility being a, a sign of um, good health is just as true of men as it is mm -hmm. of women, you know, um, yeah. the same steps that will make a man fertile are the steps that will make a man healthy and able to express himself oh, yeah. in, in the world. So. And feeling, feeling good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wonder if I was going to say, don't typically men keep their fertility longer, but I wonder if that's just the fact that our, infradian rhythms and our hormones are i um, don't want to be reductionist about men but ours are maybe i could say the word more complicated that might that's probably not true mm -hmm. but um you know maybe females hormones are more delicately thrown off balance um and i wonder if you know realistically women should also be keeping their fertility as long as men on average do but we just don't because our system suffers more. I don't know. That's something that requires some investigation on my part to be able to. Um, and it's, it's more. It's more common to see a woman taking on a masculine role, whether she yeah. chooses to or not, than to see a man yeah. taking on a feminine role. Like, like you'll see. Yeah, like that's just more common. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah, I wonder. Anyways, next question: Are there any ancestral foods to avoid? What would you say to that one? Mm. I don't know. Good question. 
Um, I know Sally Fallon says, um, well, people say don't eat sushi when you're pregnant. But what do you think the women in Japan eat? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. I didn't avoid any foods when I was pregnant. I could say that. Mm -mm. Neither did I. Um, Literally nothing. But I knew my sources. Yeah. So it wasn't like I had to question if it was coming from the grocery store and it was bad. I knew I was pretty much the one preparing it and I knew the farm it came from. Yeah. Yeah. That's far more important, I think. Okay, next question is quite interesting. As women age and are in their mid to late 30s, does any advice change? So I had Gable Mm -hmm. when I was almost 40. So my periods Mm -hmm. came back to me. I was pregnant when I was 38. When I was was 38, I think actually it was the month that I turned 38 that my periods returned. So I was well into my Mm -hmm. mid to late 30s um, by the time I regained my fertility and I just followed right. the same advice as would be given to to someone, to a woman who was in their 20s, you know, the same advice that, that um, traditional ancestral peoples have given to all of their women. So I don't think anything changes as you age. Um, but I haven't done any specific research on that. But I think the, the basic tenets are exactly the same. What, what do you think about that, Andrea? Well, I think the diet generally would probably stay the same with probably some reducing in quantity since, you know, especially when you're, you know, young and farming, you're burning through a ton, but, um, or breastfeeding or carrying babies if you do either of those. Mm. Um, Lexi has been telling me about some really interesting books she's been reading and I wrote down the two titles, Allison, and they're on the note card upstairs on my desk. (laughs) Oh, why did I leave it up there? Um, I picked up the headphones right next to it and left it sitting there. But how about I jot them down in the show notes? Yeah, please. But she has been learning about some herbs and things that women can continue to take that traditionally they would drink, you know, as teas or tinctures or whatever, um, bathe in, steam with, or whatever. as they progress through the years so so maybe there's support that you can give your body as you get older i believe there is yeah okay yeah okay well we're and and just remembering that Mm -hmm. we we live slightly out of our human context most of the time so that might be important you know like most of us aren't waking up because the sun rolled onto our face mm. and then going to bed because the sun went down behind the hill. Like we're living with lights and um, blue screens and computers and things that affect our thyroid and stuff like that. I so. think for me, as I've got older, it's harder for me to abuse myself. And so... Oh, amen. The, amen. Um, you know, looking at wanting to be fertile in mid, late 30s, maybe into 40s, the things like self-care become much more strict because I can't treat myself now as I could when I was 21. I don't have the resilience. And so... No, I wish I'd treated myself. (laughs) Yeah, I wish I treated (laughs) myself like I am now. Completely, (laughs) I agree. Um, But it it then becomes, you just have to pay more attention the older you get because you can't, you notice the cues more quickly and you have to pay more attention to them. I would, yeah, I would add to that. And that's because you're, and I always think about it in the ancestral way. I think, well, but why? And that's because you're supposed to be able to take a beating during those years. <laughs> you know, you're 
it's hard work raising a small family and, um, or raising, I should say a young family, Mm. um, and then taking care of elders at the same time, Mm. probably. And then working in fields and, you know, just seeing what our husbands do, Allison, Mm. physically, Mm. you know, is just insane. And so we should be able to take those hard hits, but we, abuse that privilege of humans being able to take Mm -hmm. hits and we starve ourselves. We binge on alcohol. We overwork in the wrong areas. We ignore bodily needs. We suppress, you know, signs of red flags and things like that. Talking about my twenties when you you make that long list. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was spared, you know, lots of, um, toxic inputs like alcohol binges and things, thankfully, um, cause it just wasn't part of my culture personally, but, mm. um, it, I abused myself in many other ways. I starved myself, you know, mm. I would go days up to five days at a time without eating anything, um, which is ridiculous, like mm. ridiculous. Um, now, mm. um, we we're driving home last night from jujitsu and I was like, oh, we have to go home so I can get, you know, I need to eat a piece of cheese right away. Mm. And the kids were like, why? And I was like, cause now I can tell yeah. like that. It's starting like not now I'm paying attention and realizing, oh my gosh, when you see those warning signs, if you take care of them right away, they don't get worse. Yeah, (laughs) completely, completely. Oh, okay. One more question, which is a a never ending question. And this one was from um, Rebecca in Australia, one of our patrons. And she asked how much of your past eating habits affect your pregnancy and child's health? Yeah. And that. Do we want to know? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> that is quite scary <sighs> when you've lived it differently is. to how you would have wished to have lived. Because I think really yeah. all of our past eating habits affect pregnancy and our child's health. I think eating habits, my eating habits, I was a teenager, <clears throat> probably have affected Gabriel's health. But again, that's another kind of area where you just have to let go and... Um, say well I am where I am I am where I am now and I know what I know now and I move forward from here with the best um steps that I can because forgive yourself forgive your parents maybe your parents didn't do what you want wish they had done when they were pregnant with you and um it's maybe something worth something I considered when I saw this question was Mm. there's probably been very few if any pregnancies in history that were completely ideal, Mm. like we're facing, Oh yeah. I alcohol binged in my twenties and starved myself and threw my system way out of whack and, you know, had to fight to get my fertility back and um, was probably just starting to get the right amount of choline when I got pregnant. Okay. So that's what we're facing. Whereas somebody else is like, yeah, we didn't eat for like three years. And um, you know, there was a famine and um, then there was a fire and then there was a flood and, you know, (laughs) like, People through history yeah. faced problems too. Um, let's not fantasize that they all were just like swimming in eggs and broth yeah. and had everything they needed. Um, and the astounding resiliency of the body, both your body to cannibalize itself mm. to help your child get the yeah. best of the best motherhood beginning right out the gate. Mm. And um, the infant's body to, um, you know, recover from certain things and and rebuild some things as we saw in Sally's book, some things like they just aren't going to change, but other things we can work with. So 
Yeah. We must forgive ourselves as all humans everywhere must. Yeah. And just <laughs> and do our best. Do what we can yeah. with what we know now. Do our best. Yeah. Exactly. So resources wise, I think the Western A Price Foundation has a lot of articles online. All of their previous journal articles are online. So you can search with them in the search term and you'll find a lot of articles on fertility. Um, Also, Mm -hmm. if you want to talk to us further, do come and join us at um, the companionship level or above on Patreon because we've got our Discord forum. And if you've got more questions, we're on there regularly. You can quiz us or quiz yeah. the other patrons because there's a lot of people with um knowledge on there so um oh my gosh like did you see what kelsey said about the iron yeah. hello thank you kelsey yeah <laughs> like yes please that was so helpful I, I i was like i know there's something weird about it and then she's like well, i may break it down but i was like this yeah. is awesome <laughs> yeah and that that's what we you know that in that really community good. that's what we want where people come in with the things that we don't know yeah. and they know and they've studied and we haven't and it's a big kind of sharing yeah. so um that's available yeah. if people want to to come over to patreon mm-hmm. um but yeah, yeah i fun. i trust the western price um foundation on fertility mm-hmm. completely so if you want to go and do some reading They've got the receipts go and find not um, the xenoestrogen yeah, no, exactly go and find um their website and search through their blogs okay yeah well i think we've probably gone on quite some time i can't see the counter on my recorder but i think it's probably time to stop <laughs> What a ride. What a time to be alive. Indeed. <laughs> indeed. Thank you ever so That's much. An, you have an amazing story, Alison. Thank you for um, all the details you've shared with us over the episodes of your very personal story. And um, I know it's helpful to so many of us. Thank so. you. Thank you for giving me the space too. I appreciate it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say goodbye then and go and um, have okay. my egg for tea. Until next time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Bye for now. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram. Andrea's at farm and hearth and Alison's at ancestral underscore kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun, exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen. <laughs>